you don't have a mask on, you ought to be out where there's very few people. You might even hear, <laughs> I'm about a city block for some kids that are out playing. Uh, uh, they're, they're back in school, which I'm all for. But anyway, so if you hear a little background noise, that's just the way it is. I do want to emphasize, if that's the word, and uh, doesn't happen in this part of the country a lot, that folks, if you're going out, you put a mask on, take care of yourself, take care of people around you. Uh, it's a courtesy, okay? It's, it's uh, believe it or don't believe it, it's still a courtesy. Uh, I happen to believe that, as a matter of fact, I did a thing last week on the Mayo Clinic that shows it's actually even more defensive than we ever thought it was. It does way better than we thought. So, hey, why not do it for your health, for the health of the people around you? It's kind of interesting, I think. So something a little different. And uh, why is it interesting? First of all, it's from the University of Texas at Austin. They've created a new type of soil that can actually pull water from the air and distribute it to plants. Such soil has the potential to expand the map of truly farmable land to previously inhospitable places, as well as to reduce water use for agriculture in an era of ever-growing droughts. The student's atmospheric water irrigation system makes use of super-moisture absorbent gels to capture water literally out of the air. When they are heated a little bit higher above uh, the temperature they got absorbing the water, the gels release the water, making it available to the plants in the soil around it. The gels in the soil pull water out of the air during cooler, more humid periods, such as at night, and when the sun heats the soil during the next day, the water-containing gels release the contents back into the soil. The interesting thing about this is each gram of soil, small amount, folks, can extract three to four grams of water. So depending on the specific crop, somewhere between a couple of ounces and as much as two pounds of the soil can provide enough water to irrigate a square yard of farmland. Experiments on the soil found that it retains water better than the sanding soil basically found in dry areas and needs much less water to grow viable plants. In one experiment, radish plants germinating in the soil all survived a 14-day period without any irrigation whatsoever beyond the initial watering when they were planted. Reddish plants in ordinary sandy soil irrigated for the first four days of each experiment lasted no more than just two days further than the days without watering. 12-day difference, folks. The Austin Group has been developing this gel polymer material that works like super sponges. Uh, they've been working on it for a couple of years. These materials extract large amounts of water from the ambient air, clean it, and release it when the heat comes up in the mornings and afternoons as solar energy. I still keep personally uh, worrying, folks, about the fact that we are uh, approaching 7.8, might even already be there, billion of us, billion. Put some zeros behind that. Got to feed us, got to water us, got to do everything. The good news is, as our technology comes along, uh, it's so far being able to keep pace with this massive increase in population that we're doing worldwide. That doesn't mean we don't need to consider, folks. There is a limit that this aquarium we live in can support. But at least we're kind of coming along one step at a time. Now, to kind of add to this a little bit on the negative side, which I hate, the hot year continues. 
The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA's monthly global climate report for October, reports that yet another month of super high temperatures. This October 2020 was the fourth hottest October ever recorded by man, continuing the pace for the year to be at least the second hottest year on record. The 10 warmest Octobers ever, ever recorded by man have all occurred since the year 2005, and the seven warmest have all occurred in the last seven years. In other words, each year hotter than the year before. Europe has had its warmest Octobers ever, surpassing the previous record that was set back in 2001. Folks, it's getting hotter. Heat records were set around the world, including parts of the northern and western Pacific Ocean, Southern North America, South America, Eastern Europe, and Northern Middle East, the Eastern Mediterranean Sea, Southern Asia, and in small areas across the Indian and Atlantic Oceans. Despite the record global temperature warmth, the Northern Hemisphere's snow cover in October this year was the 10th largest ever recorded uh, in the past 60 years. The snow cover in North America was the largest on record for October since we've been recording them. Now, don't let that fool you, folks. That doesn't mean the temperature isn't getting warmer. It just means it's getting more extreme. Adding in the extremely active hurricane season, the most active ever recorded, and 12 hurricanes and 29 tropical depressions, weather around the world continues to be anything but typical and certainly Nothing that is what we would call uh, predictable by the knowledge that we currently have. I think here's something that's kind of sneaking up on us. Most of us are familiar with air pollution, water pollution, soil pollution, and even noise pollution. But it turns out that light also is a powerful pollutant to nature as well. Light pollution is nothing more than a pollution man-made altogether. Nobody's putting out any fake light but us. Sources of light pollution include building interiors and exteriors, advertising billboards, factories, properties, commercial properties, street lights, and even, uh, even sporting venues that go on for hours. According to findings by a new report from the University of Exeter, that's in, in, in England, folks, artificial nighttime lighting has a wide range of effects across the natural world and should be limited whenever it's possible. The research team analyzed more than 100 studies and found that artificial lighting has widespread impacts on both animals and plants. And now for some not-such-good news. The new rule that's just come out from the EPA as of Wednesday of this week, December 9th, makes it harder for us to fight air pollution and climate change of all times who decide to do this. With just over 40 days left in office on Wednesday, this administration finalized a rule making it harder for the Environmental Protection Agency to enact clean air standards that protect public health and address the climate crisis. Outgoing EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, never liked him anyway, announced changes to the Clean Air Act that dramatically alter the way the agency calculates the cost and benefits of policies to reduce air pollution. The changes mean that when the EPA evaluates proposed clean air standards, it must consider all costs to affected industries but discount many of the public health benefits, such as lower risk of respiratory illnesses, immune system damage, and earlier deaths. 
and reducing the greenhouse gas pollution that causes global warming is no longer taken into consideration. For four years now, this administration has waged war on the public health by kowtowering to polluters. The EWG used to mean Environmental Working Group, and I still kind of believe they're the people we ought to follow. Uh, President King Cook of EWG said, now on the way out the door, this amounts to sabotaging the efforts of the incoming administration to protect America from dirty air. Now, of course, as soon as the administration changes, he's going to change it back. It's just a a waste of our time and effort because it's not being going through Congress. It's just a decision that's being made. If enacted, the new rule will almost certainly face court challenges and immediate efforts by the upcoming administration to overturn it. But Cook said that those efforts will take some time and waste resources and waste, of course, our money fighting it back that could be spent advancing one of the current upcoming administrator's priorities, and that's curbing climate-disrupting air pollution, especially by industries that don't have to clean up for themselves. It would literally be a breath of fresh air as soon as the new administration goes back and changes the way the EPA, which used to be folks that stood for the Environmental Protection Agency, hasn't been protecting the environment for quite a while now. But the current administrator Wheeler has just been hell-bent on making a uh, a job as difficult as possible to try to keep our air clean and safe for everyone, especially our kids in the next generations. Each week, I'll at least bring up uh, well some of the produce and things we eat. It's a group I uh, get of uh, different fruits and vegetables called the Dirty Dozen. There's also a Clean 15. So I will go both directions here and tell you some things you don't have to buy organically. You don't have to worry about so much. But the Dirty Dozen has come up so often that this is the fifth year in a row that the Shopper's Guide to Produce and Pesticide ranks apples at the top of the Dirty Dozen list. This is not a, Now, the fruits and vegetables on these lists so far, luckily, none have been certified organic. So this is a list of non-organic fruits and vegetables with high levels of pesticide residues. And one of them that bugged me a little because they came out with a new, they called it Arctic Apples, okay, They were approved, even though they're GMO, when they hit the shelves. And uh, even more pesticides are now found in them than they were in them when they first started growing. The U.S. Department of Agriculture just gave thumbs up to Okanagan Specialty Fruits Incorporated to market two varieties of GMO apples designed not to turn brown. That's according to a recent Ecologist article, Ecology Magazine, February of this past year. Farmers may have to increase their pesticide use on these particular new GMO apples. And unfortunately, at this moment, United States law does not even yet require new Arctic apples, or any of the apples right now, uh, to be called GMO food. In other words, they don't have to label that you're getting a genetically modified uh, piece of fruit. Is it good or bad? See, that's the deal. We don't know yet. It may not be harmful in its own way, but there are some studies that show, at least in other genetically modified foods, especially in the ways of grain, that does change the structure of it to the point that your body doesn't handle it the same. So we're not sure what the long-term, let's use the word dangers or possible dangers are, and yet we don't have to label them. When you go to get your Arctic apple, it's not going to say it's GMO'd. You go get uh, other altered beans and 
corn especially. They don't even tell you anymore. It's almost impossible to get non-GMO corn. I'm even concerned about the ones that are certified organic these days because it's kind of leaking over. So what's a shopper to do? The best bet for avoiding pesticide residues in the produce aisle is whenever you can buy organic. Certified organic. It's got a, a little green and white sticker from the USDA on it. When organic fruits and vegetables aren't acceptable, steer at least to those found on, uh, go to the Clean 15 list. You can look it up on any computer, on any phone. Matter of fact, I'm at Nature Approved at Yahoo. I'll get you a copy if you want it. And it's changed a few times a year to just to check it, to make sure that as they change the way they're growing fruits and vegetables. Uh, for instance, hot peppers are on the dirty list now. They used to be in the Clean 15. Russet potatoes are now on the Dirty Dozen list. They used to be Clean 15. But they've changed the way they grow them. Choosing USDA certified organic produce or processed food means bringing home food grown without toxic synthetic pesticides. So back after this with more of Organic Matters. 